Peter Radio presents the legendary Pink Dots Project Podcast with me, Adam Wybray, my co-host, Tom May. Hi, I'm Adam Wybray. I'm going to be one of your guides on this journey into the music of the legendary Pink Dots. I discovered the legendary Pink Dots through The Residents, an obscure YouTube artist going under the name of The Resident, uh, now he's called Virgil Pink, I mean, producing his own videos for Resident songs. Sometimes these videos would be cobbled together from cheap TV footage and Google image search results, as in life would be wonderful. And other times, in the case of Dreaming of an Anthill, for instance, they would display remarkably accomplished sand animations reminiscent of German Expressionism and the inky grotesqueries of comic book artist Charles Burns. This slapdash approach that sometimes yielded moments of astonishing beauty seemed like a perfect fit for the residents. And I was thrilled by the residents' ability to forge intuitive connections between found footage and the band's music in the most seemingly unlikely of places. Having watched a bulk of videos based upon music by the residents, I decided to investigate artists that were also represented on the channel. The Third Eye Foundation and Current 93 cropped up, but so did the legendary Pink Dots and their lead singer named Edward Carr Spell. Both, then, completely unknown to me. I was intrigued by the band's inscrutable and I felt irritatingly pretentious name. How could something as abstract as Pink Dots be legendary? And moreover, wasn't the name itself somewhat eye-rollingly self-promoting? Anyway, I listened to a track. I believe it was of all the girls. The video was underwhelming. But I found the music strangely compelling. It was droning, but propulsive and slightly nauseating, more overtly threatening than the residents. While the residents at their best walk an indeterminate path between earnestness and sincerity, balancing unsettling melodies with daffy vocal deliveries or vice versa, I sense little of that playfulness in Of All The Girls. There are a few concessions being made to the listener. One could easily have imagined that the composers, this Edward Carr Spell and Phil Knight, had produced the track for their own private enjoyment. I did not immediately feel invited into the world of the legendary Pink Dots, but insidiously, because it was some weeks before I returned to their music. The track wormed its way into my brain until I felt all the more stubborn to discover more. In some respects, my first instincts were correct. Legendary Pink Dots do feel like an oddly private band, a means for communicating the esoteric and sometimes paranoid visions of Edward Carr Spell with a full band in tow, particularly the musical contributions of Phil Knight and his sonic soundscapes. As in the eccentric English composer tradition of Tim Smith and the Cardiacs, or even Sid Barrett and early Pink Floyd, perhaps the most apparent influence upon the dots, 
Edward Carspell is a fountainhead from which the band's thematic and lyrical ideas flow. Across the 30-plus years that the band have been active, the Dots' albums have provided a rigorous exegesis of Carspell's own personal mythology. Some of the most convincing recurrent themes of the Dots' discography listed by Wikipedia include the number 834, Apocalypse, Lisa, Carspell's female alter ego, Our Lady, and Divinations. In this sense, the Dots share a clear similarity with that band of prophetic folk menace, current 93. However, while David Tibet has the fervent sincerity of a street preacher, I was totally mistaken in thinking that Carspell lacked playfulness. Although his lyrics provide some acidic social commentary, especially in The Tower and Island of Jewels' bitter attacks on Thatcherism, presumably prompting the band's departure from Britain to Holland, they also simultaneously exist within their own imagined world, so that the fantastical is intermixed with car parks and housing estates. In a track from the wonderful Your Children Placate You from Premature Graves of 2006, Carspell asks the listener, or some unknown character to whom the song is addressed, How is life out there on the island? the island of our dreams, within. The project of Carspell across 30 years has been to render this island of inner dreams somehow tangible through his lyrics and, with Phil Knight, through music. As such, their best work takes the listener on a trip, both in the psychedelic sense, but also in the terms of psychogeography. In his work, Psychogeography, Merlin Coverley informs the reader of Xavier Demetrius, a nocturnal investigation around my room, in which Demetrius, confined to his room after a duel, undertakes a journey of imaginary geographical discovery within his mind. Often, Carspell's narrators, like Demetrius, are stuck in small hiding places or claustrophobically confined within their own skulls, whether due to imprisonment or madness. Carspell's brilliance is to introduce us to these isolated characters and then immerse us in their worldview through expansive and mysterious soundscapes. He begins with the most restricted, infinitesimal point of consciousness and then slowly expands it outwards towards a state of cosmic consciousness to use the phrase of 1960s psychonauts. Musically, Phil Knight often follows this template of expansion, with simple melody lines repeating and layering an increased complexity of texture. Much of the LPD's music is an undertaking to help the listener, and perhaps composers, escape his or her own head. Natural sounds, especially water, are as essential to achieving this effect as the synthesizers and keyboards the band heavily relies upon. With such a singular twin creative vision at the heart of proceedings, the band's lineup has evolved through a bewildering number of metamorphoses. Indeed, there have been over 30 members over as many years. Bill Knight that silvery electronic wizard 
is the most constant member apart from Carspell. The band's own autobiographical page yields little light, taking the form of a whimsical and obscurantist creation myth involving, quote, the traditional burning of Ugchu, the fire baby, and a terrible curse delivered by the terrible one upon the band that forces them to compose an infinity waltz performed endlessly in 834-834 time. Amusingly, this speaks to the remarkable interconnectivity throughout the Doctor's output, despite numerous lineup changes. Not only do lyrical phrases, musical motifs, album titles and themes recur across decades, but tonal shifts between albums are slow and subtle. Sometimes one album might sound like a variant on the last. Indeed, such an enormous discography, filled with re-releases, live albums and mixes, it has been an imposing task to choose the albums for this project that Tom and myself have deemed canonical or necessary. All the studio releases have been included, along with some important representative live albums, as well as the EPs, singles and compilations of tracks unrepresented elsewhere. Uh, we're going to delve a little bit into Carspell's own fellow output and some of the uh, projects that have spun off from the dots. The fact that the Docs have re-released so much of their output is an immeasurable boon, especially since many of the albums were originally limited to a few hundred pressings or DIY cassette releases. Hopefully this podcast will provide you, the listener, with a giddy entry point into the legendary Pink Dots musical world. I consider them to be a remarkably consistent and truly inventive band, though a difficult one to penetrate. And hopefully these reviews and appraisals by myself and Tom over the coming year, or possibly years, will inspire you to take the plunge into the proverbial plasma pool. Fulfill the prophecy and sing while you may. But first, let's listen to that track, which for me started it all off. Of all the girls, from 1982's Atomic Roses.
Hello, my name is Tom May, so mote it be. The legendary Pink Dots. Now, they are so far off the cultural radar of music in Britain, that when I have mentioned their name to friends, they may well have wondered whether I was making this band up. The legendary Pink Dots are a band so neglected, as I wrote in my letter to The Wire magazine, published in early 2020, that no albums proper have been reviewed in even that experimental music magazine's pages. A magazine which started in 1982 um, and thus almost spans the same duration as the band, though they did get reviewed sporadically by the NME and Melody Maker. So, what is their music like? There is its sheer variety Quite frankly, no one else straddles worlds as different as 1960s-inspired psychedelia. Dark ambient, electronic, music concrete, space rock, acoustic balladry and bangers for early 1990s goth clubs. That sweet spot between Nurse With Wound and Robin Hitchcock is regularly attained by the legendary Pink Dots. As with John Peel's words about the fall, they are always the same, always different, but are closer to the consistency of the fall from 1978 to 1985, but over a far longer period, in my opinion. This is music that invariably transports you. However much Adam, Matt and I, plus in a so far a one-off John Robinson, have linked this music to other films, animations, paintings, novels, TV programs, it also remains sui generis. While this music is part of our lives and hence to be woven into the expansive tapestry of all the cultural practices and artefacts we know, it is also unique in and of itself. There are clearly some influences at play, uh, how could there not be? Uh, we are all written by what we read and listen to and watch, and by the closest people in our lives. However, it would be fanciful to entirely deny authorship exists in some form. Edward Carspell has an utterly unique voice and way with words, incantatory but also with a defiant sense of absurdity and bathos. There are serene even spiritual moments in the dot's work but the pinprick of deflating bathos is always just around the corner if we might set them in cultural context the legendary pink dots music has the feel of an emergent abstract carving fashioned from a process of alchemy an alchemical and chemical compound that found its way onto the perfect medium of hum humdrum cassette tapes. The dots re-energise the uncategorizable psychedelic pop art jazz of the Bonzo Dog Band and the wider cultural underground that spread from the Pink Floyd to Mike Westbrook to Jeff Nuttall and Albert Hunt and John Fox's welfare state. Such writers as John Savage and Elizabeth Sandifer have extolled the mercurial, anarchic impetus of the French-derived Situationist International from 1968, and I think the dots are at least tangentially in debt to this thinking.
detournement and all that. The word detournement, by the way, means deflection, diversion, rerouting, distortion, misuse, misappropriation, hijacking, or otherwise turning something aside from its normal course or purpose. Their music does this to not just the genres they draw on, and, if you will, collage, but to normative ways of seeing the world and life itself. They mark part of a wider philosophical turn against rationalism. Despite the success of consumerism and property ownership on conservative utilitarian grounds, freezing, say, the land of Britain against any possibility of a socialist or ecological opening up, there has to be resistance, uh, and I feel the legendary Pink Dot's music marks a poetic resistance to conservative capitalism along polemical, aesthetic and auditory lines. Beyond the band's consistent perception of unfairness brought about by unequal distribution of power, there is an anarchic open outlook which steers way beyond many in Carspell's generation who took bohemianism on board in order to tame it and enrich themselves. There is also an ethical impulse. You don't simply get hedonistic libertarianism, which can be par for the course with many musicians. With the dots, you get a righteous opposition, as Adam says, to Thatcherism, but also positive, if never smug, environmentalism, and a sense that they follow and despair of world politics, but also that they look out for the hopeful branchings out from the trees, the rhizomes, to quote Deleuze and Guattari. Now, how did I first encounter the legendary Pink Dots? Now, I haven't written about this as part of the LPD project for Kitty Sneezes. I've just left it shrouded in suitably murky mystique. Well, I first heard them on Resonance FM, the London-based but internet-available countercultural radio station. I'd listened occasionally to this station, specifically tuning in to various shows about topics that I knew would interest me. I have listened to probably hundreds of episodes of Johnny Trunk's OST show. Now, sometimes I would just turn Resonance on and hope something randomly would take my interest. I switched on, and there was some sort of all day, or at least all evening, or maybe three hours special, about this band I'd never heard of called, yes, the legendary Pink Dots. I think I must have heard a track or two played before the name was mentioned. But well, I, I like this. I knew I couldn't switch off. It was compelling. I think initial tracks tended towards the weirder side but then I strongly recall some other track coming on and it being pure psychedelic pop, but all fused with the electronic. Now this sort of combination was always going to appeal to me as I love the best 1960s music. I just knew this music was for me. And weirdly, I think I instantly knew that there was something profound and silly in equal measure and that this was gonna join the ranks of my personal favorite musical acts. Now I can't remember any of the specific tracks from this. I don't think I listened to the end and can't quite remember why not. 
Well, now I cannot even be sure when this was that I first heard them. Um, I've searched out details of when it would have been, but the internet turns up, well, nothing. It must have been um, the early years of the 2010s, as it was when I was still living at my parents' house in Sunderland before I moved to Newcastle-upon-Tyne in uh, October 2012. Indeed, I can't um, be 100% sure, though, that it wasn't earlier. However, it was probably 2010, 2011 or 2012, as I think I recall looking the LPDs up afterwards on Last FM, which I had an account on which counted iPod plays. Lord knows where that site has gone to now um, of course if anyone else recalls this resonance fm special or even if you're involved in this shadowy broadcast please get in touch i can be followed and messaged on twitter at dream cargos um, i'd love to have the memory confirmed with a date in time and get some further information about this dim but vital memory but maybe it is all the more apt that it remains such a murky uncertain first encounter anyway unquestionably i think more people would like the music of the lpds than do now if they heard it hence part of our role is as dubious missionaries for the carspellian cause you don't want to trust us one bit that's why you must trust us and listen to us and dance in seaweed which brings me to my track to introduce you all to the legendary Pink Dots. While Voices was probably the first track I consciously loved in listening to and writing about the Dots music from 2013 onwards, it just has to be Neon Mariners from the 1988 album any day now. It might not quite be the most accessible way in, but if you don't like it, you won't really like this band or appreciate what they have to offer. Your loss. Oh, 
really is uh, the closest to surrealist art you will get in music, but not alienating or show-off cerebral. Uh, it's Karl-Heinz Karl Stockhausen times Kurt Schwitters, but filtered through Sid Barrett. Now, some shout-outs, not just to whoever was responsible for that Resonance FM dot baptism, but also to those intrepid Wire magazine cosmonauts or letter writers, Orson Panetti and Juan Carlos Ballesta, who have valiantly called for more coverage of the dots, not before time. I hope you are listening, Maris. Also, John Robinson, Matt Keeley, and of course, my esteemed co-host of this podcast, Adam Wybray. It is going to be quite the wild, long ride. Fulfill the prophecy! Can I start by asking you a question? Okay, so I was reading through my collected K-Punk anthology and looking at Mark Fisher's reflections on Psychedelica, and obviously the Legendary Pink Dots are often classified as a psychedelic rock band. And it seems like in his earlier writings, like early 2000s, Mark says that Psychedelica's a retreat from politics, basically, that he sees it as hippies throwing up their hands, a bit like Adam Curtis would, because, you know, hippies throwing up their hands and uh, entering into the life of the mind and drugs and psychedelics, and um, that's apolitical. Now, obviously, Fisher clearly starts seeing a political potential, at least, in the psychedelic realm. And I was wondering... To what degree you think the dots have a positive political project? So to what degree is it a, I don't say nihilistic, because I don't think they're nihilistic, but to what degree is it just a kind of cynical defeatism and anti-political or anti-politics? Or to what degree you think there's an optimism there or a sense that there might be a potential for collective action or uh, reshaping things politically. I mean, I think the certain albums are very doom-filled. Um, <laughs> obviously, the dystopian um, 1984 album, The Tower, particularly, mm. um, and the sort of Thatcherism entering its worst phase, really. Well, 1982 to 88, really, you could say, is the peak of yeah. Thatcherism when, when it's growing and when it's getting stronger and stronger in all of those years, really. Um, but yeah, I was I did think about this. Uh, there, there are several albums that that have redemptive endings, particularly or redemptive moments that do seem a lot more optimistic. Um, yeah, like yourself, I looked through all the writings that we've done these last eight years or so, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> um, and the Gardens of Eden, I pinpointed. Um, mm. Island of Jewels. I'm not sure whether it's quite at the end of the album, but it's it's certainly one where I noted this. Uh, we bring the day, of course. Uh, Malachi. Oh, we bring the day is gorgeous. Shadow yeah. Weaver Part Two, 1993, um, and this hollowed ground actually from the most recent one we've written about. From here, you'll watch the world go by, from 1995. Um, so I do think those moments really do further um, a positive people working together, sort of vaguely ecological socialist uh, or anarchist 
mm. um, ideology comes across that, that that does seem a bit more positive um, as a great counterbalance to the doom, which there is a lot of it <laughs> yeah. to, to listen to in the, the oeuvre of the dots. I mean, uh, to mention Mark Fisher, a, a thought came to me on this um, today, actually, uh, when well, I've been listening to the next few albums as well, um, Nemesis Online even, I've got as far as mm. that, um, and that has okay. a line, my future's been cancelled on it, which seems very much an anticipation of Mark Fisher's sort of slow cancellation of the future idea, neoliberalism um, completely limits all alternative political viewpoints um it seemed very prescient of that i think that's about 1998 that album or 90 yeah yeah i mean you can you can imagine cast spell being very cynical of new labor like that kind of managerial speak i seems completely anathema to what they're about which i mean you saw at the time coming across just in how like um managers in further education colleges talked a lot of people did buy into this stuff very strongly and i suppose it leads up to the view that you get put forward in in films like billy elliott um that that, you know uh sort of don't look back in anger uh go with this sort of new leisure arts regeneration type type culture in the north um you've got to go with it rather than um think about socialism at all (laughs) So sing, sing while you may. So going through this, what are the albums that have stood out to you so far? Uh, well, I was looking through the reviews from the start um, and trying to sort of summarise how much I like them. And there's actually quite a few that I thought were r- repetitive, uh, repeating the same tracks from um, Only Dreaming and uh, Chemical Play School 1 and 2. So I, I didn't always like all of those early ones. I think really from Curse and The Tower onwards, um, the consistency picks up a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's more, you know, unique material on each album, which I think is important. You know, in, if you're listening to them chronologically, uh, it's going to have an impact. You're having the same tracks coming up over and over. Uh, but I think, yeah, very few of like the albums proper or anything other than, than than great, really, from Curse, 1983 onwards. I mean, Island of Jewels is a really great one. It will be up there, without doubt. Um, from here, you'll watch the world go by, actually. I really loved uh, the, the Maria dimension. I think I liked a fair bit more than the Crushed Velvet Apocalypse. Crushed Velvet Apocalypse is a little bit too mannered for me in places. Like... It's definitely the most overtly goth of those albums. And, you know, I've got a soft spot for Bauhaus and The Cure and the like, but it sometimes, I don't know, it feels a little bit too arch and stylized for me. I feel like Maria Dimension has a bit more fire in its belly. Like, it's got the edge over, over it for me. We all have Yeah, I mean, I love the Maria Dimension. I think it's regarded as one of their strongest for good reason. Like, I think it really takes you on a journey. Um, like, it really conjures landscapes in my mind, um, which I love. And some of the lyrics are really searing. Like, the lyrics um, of, like, 
the grain kings or uh yeah third secret i think has really searing angry lyrics uh, and then there's the kind of more optimistic cosmic stuff like evolution on there you know maybe we'll be dolphins um when we're born again um so i think for me rear dimension has that balance uh, i i do really love the pairing of um the tower and uh the follow-up i mean there's a few in in between those there's the lovers asylum and prayer for radia which i thought were all goodish but they weren't quite up there yeah I, I i like parts of asylum very much um i really like the way the truth and the light um and so gallantly screaming um you know it has some really sort of evocative moments um it feels quite scattered to me um, I think maybe it's because it sounds like it's going to have a very strong concept, this idea of the asylum and maybe character portraits of different inmates. Um, yet it feels more diffuse than that. And musically, it's really varied. Um, and there's some great stuff from Patrick Wright on that album, obviously. Like, it's got some of his most sort of frantic violin work. That's always important, I think. I think he's a, he's a wonderful um, force within the dots. Whenever you hear his stuff, it um elevates it definitely Abs absolutely um really adds another kind of texture and and emotional quality i think to the work i think the dots can get a little bit not cold but i guess acerbic and so sort of satirical I mean, there's the repetition of, of tracks coming up in those those early releases. You don't feel it's done cynically. It's just a bit less interesting there. I, I think it's just because, like, they're re releasing, like, 50 copies of each cassette, right? <laughs> um, so they're so short run and... Form of recycling, yeah. Yeah, as a, I think, yeah, for quite pragmatic reasons. And also I get the impression these are probably being sold at gigs... And things. I don't. I don't think they were necessarily thinking in terms of albums proper at that stage. And obviously, you've got them releasing things on various labels and, you know, Dutch labels and British labels. So you know, I do hope that this podcast allows people an entry point because with the dots, I do worry that it's a bit like getting into the full for instance, where the sheer amount of material and the fact that, I mean, the dots are exactly obscure. Um, they're, they're a bit cryptic and can be a bit elusive. Um, I wouldn't say they're outright alienating. Um, you know, they're not like throbbing gristle. You know, they're not releasing stuff to try to alienate and upset people. There's obviously, yeah, there's obviously a desire to communicate. Right. You are being on some level invited into this world, um, but like sometimes a pretty weird world. And you might have to sort of adjust, adjust your expectations or your way of seeing things. Um, but I do think just the sheer amount. You know, it's easy, I think, especially now we're in this period of kind of on demand media and you can just opt for the next recommendation on your Netflix account. You know, taking that deep dive and actually 
in a way, scarcity made it easier, I think, to get into a band like The Residents for me, because when I got into them as a teenager, I wasn't able to access a lot of their music. So I did have to go to, you know, record shops and CD fairs and things and pick out the albums I could find. And actually staggering it made it more palatable. I think if all of The Residents had been available to me like it would be now on YouTube, I would have just found it overwhelming and I might have just gone for some of the not very good albums and been put off. Yeah, so it is easier to do that these days, certainly. And yeah, and I think that would be a real shame with the Dots because, you know, I think they're a really brilliant band and the albums deserve to be listened to. Indeed. Uh, I mean, I mean, not that you couldn't use certain tracks as working music, for example, some of the more ambient tracks you could have on loop um, and would would be very relaxing sort of music so there's, there's all sorts with, with the dots really yeah that's that's true like there is some music for every occasion really you know it's not like i don't know captain beefheart or something where you know apart from like you know blue jeans and moonbeams I'm, I'm not gonna just stick on trout mask every care when i've got to get some work done <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> Well, so yeah, one like yeah. one like four days. Um, I, I seem to remember as the, one of the most ambient. Mm. And and that that one I think was done for a friend at request, basically. Um, so it's one that wasn't widely available for a long time. Um, but yeah, the lovers obviously has its its softer, more ambient moments as well. Um, I think in terms of accessible dots, uh, the Faces in the Fire EP would be a good place to start because it's short and quite poppy. It has uh, a fair amount of variation and the, the tracks are pretty short. Um, so I don't know, you know, I, don't, I guess it depends on someone's taste, whether they want to kind of throw themselves in with a deep dive into the Maria dimension um, or, you know, approach approach them through the popular tracks. I think Faces in the Fire would be easier than The Tower um, as it's as much as political in its way um, with sort of its media and press uh, criticism that's in that, in that EP. Mm. Uh, and and porn as well um and all of these, yeah. these different human elements um and yeah and it's yeah a shorter sort of taster of some of the stuff you're going to get in the tower but it isn't quite yeah. as as intense really it is it's intense but it's a bit more poppy as you say yeah right the tower is a pretty dour album like i think it's brilliant but it's 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 really gloomy and the lyrics are quite unpleasant in places um like they're not in terms of politics, I like the fact that, you know, it's clear where their allegiances are. Um, like the most villainous characters tend to be sort of right wing autocrats and, you know, selfish, greedy businessmen. Um, but they're certainly not uncritical of left wing idealists. Um, like I tend to assume I, I, I might be wrong that the shock of contact is about idealistic radicals and about two people in a relationship who are part of some kind of maybe Bader-Meinhof-style terror cell. The shock of contact kept us warm. 
that's very much a critique of how the male radical in that relationship takes his girlfriend for granted seemingly and you know gets her to do all the uh I guess housework and all, all the all the home labor, or he gets on with his, his writing and pontification and great revolutionary ideas, um, and then ultimately let her take the fall for the both of them. Um, I mean, and that's that's there right at the start, really, with Break Day uh, from Only Only Dreaming, uh, which we're going to talk about in the the next episode. Um, yeah. How do you actually try and change things? Uh, do you actually try that much? <laughs> Um, I think is we'll talk about that more in the next um, episode uh, with, with break date is really key one. But yeah, you have criticism of implied criticism of the Soviet Union, Prague Spring, uh, that track um, about the events of 1968, um, the authoritarian left um, are attacked in the dots music and rightly so. Oh yeah, they they definitely have their anarchist and at times libertarian impulses. Um, they're certainly very suspicious of any kind of top-down power structures. Um, I guess where something like the shock of contact differs is it feels like the the power exploitation is coming from a personal place in that. And, and they are interested in power dynamics in relationship and gendered power dynamics. Um, you know, there's quite a lot of, there's never anything sort of outright SNME in the dots, but there's a lot of, I guess, semi-romantic <laughs> uh, songs where there's a big power imbalance implied. And, and often that's with a kind of male narrator uh, or Caspell sort of supplicating himself and, um, you know, basically sort of saying, I'll be your slave. Um to, to a presumed female lover. I mean, sometimes they'll they'll gender these characters, sometimes not. Um, but yeah, and, and and loss. You know, there's quite a few songs about unrequited love uh, or relationships turned sour. I watched you in your tragic beauty walk beneath my window. Eyes aimed high but unfocused You never noticed me I mean, the, the, it's always hard to tell how much of it's personal. Like, you, you know, they're a bit like, a bit like, I don't know, a band like R.E.M. in that way. Like, it's hard to know with R.E.M. when it's Michael Stipe singing as Michael Stipe or where he's putting on a character. Um, and I think the dots are similar, though, with Carl Spell. You know, he'll adopt these different voices and sometimes you think, oh, maybe this is a bit personal and sometimes less so. And, you know, it's his prerogative not to tell us. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was thinking that if I were to introduce someone to the dots, yeah, I think I, I'd choose the more it changes because for me it has aspects of you know it's a sort of classic 1980s track and it's approaching a pop song like the melodic hook is pretty straightforward um and i think carspell's vocals are really strong there they that they have both this sort of sardonic kind of 
remove where it sounds like he's narrating something but then there's also this kind of plaintive melancholic weirdness there feels very very hard hard won and hard earned as well um mm. and and very moving uh, rather than it being like constantly upbeat um which might might seem a bit fake really uh, for their style of music it would be 
Yeah. No, it's, it isn't falling into that 1990s onwards trap, really, of postmodernism uh, being reduced to sort of neoliberalism, basically. Definitely, I've, I haven't probably seen the dots. I saw the I Can Spin a Rainbow tour with Amanda Palmer, which was great. And it was a really nice balance between Amanda Palmer's she's very good at making the audience feel part of something, at creating this kind of intimacy and making it feel like an extended family. Now, <laughs> sometimes, obviously, she's been kind of criticised for that with her, you know, paying musicians and hugs. <laughs> and they, but, but, you know, I think it's sincerely felt, like I think that does come from a genuine place with her. And then Edward Cospell, I think, is a bit more reserved and, you know, maybe a bit more introverted than Amanda Palmer. Um, but, yeah, it definitely felt like you were being brought into something. It felt like an intimate shared space. And, you know, it... it my experience was closer in some ways to what I've had when I've been part of an immersive theatre event or something like that than a traditional gig. Um, not that anything, they didn't do anything really weird, but it did have that feeling of a kind of shared space, which was really nice. Like, I really liked that. I'll be able to see them uh, again myself uh, because I, I did see them that one time, which I've uh, documented yeah. in the in the blog in 2014, I think it was at Newcastle's uh, Star and Shadow Cinema. That was that was a wonderful gig, one of my favourite five in my life, uh, but uh, oh. of anybody really um, that I attended with uh, John Robinson when he was still up in the northeast, now in London. Oh, I think he's staying in Darlington at the moment, <laughs> uh, just this second anyway. But he lives in London. <laughs> But yeah, that was that was, yeah. Immersive theatre is a good word for it, I think. Yeah, um, that he he was sort of yeah casting a spell, as it were. So sing, sing while you may. So to finish off, I was wondering if he what hopes you have for the legendary Pink Dots Project podcast. Like, you know, obviously, you know, we're doing it for you, the listener. No, no thought of ourselves at all. But yeah, like, what what do you hope to get out of it? Well, I don't know. Hopefully, just to inspire more people to to get into their music, really, um, and that that could literally be anyone listening. You know, we're not seeing this as for any select audience at all. Um, yeah, just to inspire a love of some great music, I would say. Yeah, and I hope. So I really like. Mark Fisher's sort of late writings on acid communism, uh, but obviously they're tragically unfinished. You know, they're just very sketched, and I do feel like there are some some synergies there between acid communism and the Dots music. So if if they kind of come out or get illuminated at all, um, that'd be good. Because you know, I, I'm not saying that I think the Dots are going to inspire the next revolution, but uh, you know, if if they if they can help, help, you know, live in in I don't know a more grounded and ecological way, uh, grounded and cosmic, if that's possible, that that'd be good, um, and uh, you know, provide some solace uh, 
in what can feel like a never-ending Tory Britain. Wanted easy answers. Want a tidy end. Don't you know you've got a lot to answer for? Shining heroes You wanted sparkling nights But they're gone The legendary Pink Dots Project podcast was commissioned by Carl Neville for Repeater Radio and is adapted from blog articles written by myself and Tom May for kittysneezes.com, hosted by Matt Keeley. Matthew and John Robinson have previously written for the legendary Pink Dots Project blog that any words used here are mine and Tom's own. All art is modified by myself, Adam Wybray, from work by the English visionary, William Blake, long past copyright and in the public domain. Thanks go to The Dots, Edward Carspell and Phil Knight, but especially Patrick Wright for his kind and amusing email correspondence. Apart from those named and introduced, The Dots tracks used for sections longer than 30 seconds were Evolution, We Bring the Day, Film with the Book, New Tomorrow, and Tower 5. Any clips more than that, you can work out for yourselves and sing. Sing while you may. <laughs>